Good to see you all here. And um, good time of fellowship every time here at City Light as we greet each other in Christ and welcome each other here to this gathering, to the local church. And um, before we get into Galatians, we're going to start that next week. We're finally going to move into the book of Galatians. We're going to spend a little bit more time in Acts. We've been thinking about this whole idea of, of the church, uh, which is uh, the body of Christ, those who have come to know Jesus Christ. But oftentimes when we talk about the church, we're talking about this, this gathering of, of people that are here, and um, collectively uh, we make up what is known as the visible church, this gathering. This is what... Uh, Theologians talk about, when they speak of this gathering, they talk about the, the visible church. And that is uh, the gathering of people who come together to, to, worship, uh, to worship God. And in this gathering, there are those who uh, know Christ and make up uh, the true church, because the true church is only made up of believers. That is, those who have uh, repented of their sins and trusted in him. But the visible church, that is this gathering, is also made up of people who don't know Christ. So we don't know everybody's hearts here. We'd like to think that most of the people that are seated here know Christ. And that is, that is, uh, that is the great hope. But we can't read hearts, and uh, we surely wouldn't uh, bet our life for our soul based upon somebody else's soul. And uh, we, we come to know Christ ourselves, and we have to be convinced of these things. And the reason we know that we are saved, the reason we know that heaven is really promised to us and is real, is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to reside within us, and he convinces us with certainty that these things are absolutely, infallibly true. And the desire then is, as believers, we want to see other believers come to Christ. That's, that's the hunger of a true believer. Let's go tell other people about Jesus Christ. And so we want to see gatherings like this grow. We want to see people come in and uh, enjoy the fellowship here and sense uh, the love of God. And we've had so much talk in, uh, in recent years, even in recent decades, about church growth. And usually when we're talking about church growth, we're talking about the, the gathering of people, how to make it bigger. And so we have, we have come up with all sorts of ways to get the gathering to, to get larger. And a lot of times it, it can remind us, us of uh, marketing... Ponzi pyramid schemes. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. We've had this happen in our house a number of times, or we'll get a, a phone call, and uh, somebody will say, um, hey, Jacob, it's been a long time. And I'll say, well, who's this? And they'll say, Jasper. You remember Jasper? And I'll think to myself, I don't remember any Jasper. 
of course, using fictitious names here. I say, Jasper, and they say, yeah, 20 years ago we met. Remember we talked, in fact, we, uh, we crossed paths at this place, and oh, yeah, I do remember you, uh, Jasper. It's been, a, it's been a long time. Then they begin to ask questions like this, like, how, how are your, how's your family doing? Oh, family's doing okay. How's, how's work and uh, trying to catch up? with uh, things that are going on in, in our life. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out why this person 20 years later is all of a sudden calling. And then all of a sudden they get to the point and they say something like this. Hey, I've uh, got this interesting business opportunity. And uh, I was wondering if I uh, could, could talk to you about it, if you had some time to maybe sit down and we could chat about uh, how, to make some, how to make some money. I say, well, now I've learned at this point to just say, never mind. Jasper, it's been good talking to you, and I wish you the best in life, uh, but uh, no thank you. But we've actually had people come over to our house and sit down and lay out this elaborate business plan of how to make money. And during, during these plans, I'm always a little bit confused. I always get to the place where, I don't understand exactly what the business is. And I understand, you know, it's about making money, and usually it's something like if you get so many people in and they pay so much and then you get to a certain level and then they've been giving you money and then they get more people in and then they sell certain things and then you get some money, you get a cut out of that. And I'll get to the question, I'll finally say something like this, what exactly is the business? What are, we, what are we talking about? What exactly are we doing? You know, when we talk about a business, if you were to come over here and sit down and say, listen, I'm starting a diner and I'm looking for investors or I'm looking for cooks or I'm wondering if you can somehow get in on this and this is how you're going to make money and they present a real business plan, that's a business. But oftentimes with this, uh, the business is simply the business. So what's the business? Well, it's the business. You got to get people in. Why do you got to get people in? Well, you got to get people in to, to make money. But what are we actually doing? Well, we're actually doing a lot of business. But what is the business? Well, it's kind of the business. You see, you got to get in and then you get other people in and then they like the business and you show them some videos and you go through all this, all these different pamphlets and, and worksheets and so on. And then they get excited about the business. They pay their 200 bucks and then they're excited about the business as well. And uh, at a certain point, it can just get to the, the point in the conversation where it's like, I don't understand what the actual business is. I don't know what we're actually doing here. I don't know if there's actually a, a real plan. I understand there's kind of products here, I think, but that seems to be in the background. I've had uh, well-intentioned people get into these kind of marketing schemes and it always ends up the business is about the business and if you ask them how much money they have made they always talk about how they're starting out but there's some guy in Michigan who's made two hundred thousand dollars in the last month doing it. And the concern is that's what the church has become well we want people in the church why because it's important to get people in the church. What do you mean? 
Well, we're talking about the gathering of people, you know, where they get together and they need to get into church. And we all have a have a time of where we have this time of, you know, we sing and yeah, but what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is, you see, we 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 need a we need a church, and churches are dying. And so, what we have to do is we have to get out there and tell people about the church. Well, what is the church actually about? What is this gathering about? When you're talking about this visible gathering, what is this gathering about? Well, it's about the church, and people should come. And they should come in and they should be very excited. Well, what's the church exactly about? The business is the business. The church is about the church. It's just getting people in. Listen, we have, uh, we've mastered this in American culture. There's a lot of people getting into these buildings, getting into these gatherings that are called the church, and they're wondering, what is, what is the church? What are, we, what are we doing here? And oftentimes it's absent power. It's absent an actual message about sin and uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so like the business, the assumption is we just need people here and let's do anything to get people in the doors. And after a while, and by the way, kids are realizing this. We mentioned this recently. But kids are growing up and they're saying, I, for what? If the church is simply about the church, why do I need to be there? It's talking to a pastor this past week at a conference, and we were talking about substituting things for power. And we get into a place where we have done a pretty good job of selling things, and then when a church is small, the church begins to go, well, we've got to do something to get people in. We've got to figure something out and in order that people will, will come in the doors and they'll like us and they'll like this gathering, and hopefully... Hopefully, they'll like the church. They might not really understand why they're there, why they need to be there, or what the purpose of it is, but they'll be there. The church is simply about the church. That is not the plan of God. In fact, any, any kind of church that is set up that way or thinks that way is not only not in the plan of God, but they are in opposition to God. There is nothing in the scripture that talks about just the church being the church and the gathering being the gathering and we try to just get people in. That is not anywhere in the Bible. And yet there is such a passion to see people come. But we've got to be able to understand and we've got to be able to articulate why and even be able to wait on the Lord's timing and do things the Lord's way and he'll bless as he sees fit. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul had such a passion for the church. He had a passion for people to come to Christ and then to participate in the local gathering of believers. That's what a visible church is. It's this gathering of believers. And by the way, that's why on Sunday, Sunday mornings, the message is always geared towards believers. 
because pastors and teachers are called to pastor or to shepherd or to lead the church and to feed the church. And as has been said before, we are not called, pastors are not called to herd goats and to entertain goats. Many different pastors, Spurgeon including, included, talked about this. We're not, we're not in it to entertain or herd goats, but we're to feed sheep. And so the desire is that you have this, you have this gathering of people on Sunday morning who predominantly, the majority at least, of the people really know Christ. They've come to a place in their life where they have said, I need Jesus. And now, as a result of that, they're hungry. They want to be fed. And that's what the, the pastor teacher is for. He is to be pastoring. He's to be leading. He's to be shepherding the local congregation. And uh, Paul had this uh, passion for, for the church. And his desire was to plant churches. That is, his desire was to plant churches of people who knew Christ. John Phillips, writing about this passage that we're going to look at in Acts, when he's talking about this, this uh, heartbeat of Paul, he says, We note at once the basic difference between Paul's pioneer efforts and most of ours. Paul did not set out to put band-aids on boils in the bush. He made no attempt to penetrate virgin forests, to establish mission outposts, to plant uh, Judaistic-style mission stations in wild, unexplored regions. He, he did not set up schools and hospitals, so his aim wasn't to come in and start a hospital somewhere. His aim wasn't, here comes Paul with his uh, Red Cross truck and a bunch of Band-Aids. He evangelized cities. He pioneered places like Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. He visited Salamis and Paphos and Perga. He evangelized the great population centers of his day, the centers of culture, commerce, and government. He sought to plant his pioneer churches in the cities. Those churches that Paul planted could then evangelize the hinterland. So his aim was he comes into a place, he's an apostle, and um, by the way, there are still those with apostolic gifts today. Uh, there are no more big A apostles. We would say that there's a difference between capital A apostles. In other words, there's no more Johns and there's no more uh, Peters. Uh, the original apostles and even some of the apostles who were after them, like uh, James or Jacob, the, the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church at Jerusalem. He was called an apostle. There were, there were others. So there's no one who's able to write scripture today. We don't have any of those kind of apostles. In fact, yeah, we, we should be a little bit concerned when anybody comes in and says, I'm apostle so-and-so. That's a big title. And uh, it's reserved for those 
who had seen the Lord and who had walked in the days of the early church. But we do have those with apostolic gifts, those who have the ability and the God-given calling to go into places and start churches. They have a gift of evangelism. They know how to gather people. They have a gift in this. They know how to tell people about Christ. And they can pioneer churches. We have people today with those kind of gifts, apostolic gifts, gifts of evangelism to tell people about Christ. But what Paul would always do as an apostle is he'd go into a place, he would found or pioneer churches, and then he would leave those churches. Oftentimes he would come back or he would write them to encourage them, to pray over them. He, would, he was concerned about them. It's amazing. It was up to those churches to then evangelize the area that they were in. So here comes Paul, the apostle. He starts a church. and He prays over the church. Oftentimes he would spend years or months in a particular place. And he would spend time teaching people, giving them the scriptures, making sure that they understood the Old Testament and how it was fulfilled and revealed in Jesus Christ. Then he would, then he would depart. What an amazing thing to think about, that he would, he would simply leave. He would um, help the church to recognize and appoint elders. And then he would entrust them to the Lord. He would just say, Lord, I, I entrust this church to you. I believe that you're still with us. How, how are you still with us, Jesus? Well, you're still present with us, even though you're not present in the flesh. You're still present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. They have the word of God. They have the Holy Spirit. And they're going to make it. And he would, he would give them over to the Lord. And then it was that church, that gathering of believers, that would then go and spread the word. By the way... Uh, uh, just as a, a as a side note, we pray God raises up people to start hospitals and um, clinics and schools and you name it. But that wasn't the mission of Paul, and that's not the mission of the corporate local church. That's the mission of people within the church. Somebody gets a real burden, and believe me, there have been uh, many businessmen, businesswomen, sitting in church, and they say, you know what? I have uh, such a, a burden of God to start this kind of ministry. And it's not the job of the pastor and the elders to found and then to lead every, every different kind of ministry, but is to come alongside and to help instruct in the word, but the, the vision the, the desire, the gifting for that ministry is given to the believer. And so there could be people within this congregation raised up. God is speaking to somebody and they say, you know what, I have such a heart for the homeless. And not only do I have a heart for the homeless, but God's given me a vision in how to minister to the homeless. They present that need to the church. Present that need to the leadership of the church. We come alongside. We say, we pray about it. We say, yes, we believe this is from the Lord. And then we as a church recognize that ministry. We come alongside. We say, so-and-so or a group of people within the church is being called to do this. 
or a person says, I have the financial means, the financial resources to start a local health clinic. And maybe it's in an area where there's not a lot of medical help for people. We as a church come alongside them. Again, we pray. We say, Lord, is this, is this what you're doing? And uh, the church uh, comes and gives some kind of oversight. But the gifting and the calling is given to the people who have, who have this direct vision that is given to them from the Lord. And so this is what Paul would do. He would simply come in and he would start these, he would start these works. And he then would commend them over to the Lord. Philip says this. That was Paul's concept of pioneer missionary work. He goes on to say this. If Paul were pioneering the world today, he would be seen in the big cities, on the college campuses, in the crowded marketplaces. He would be building churches in places like Hong Kong, Manila, San Paulo. He would leave behind him a group of blazing firebrands who had caught the fire of evangelism from him, they, the nationals, would plan their own assault on the hinterlands. In other words, he's saying it's the nationals, it's the people who are indigenous to that group of people, that land that would then spread the gospel. He goes on to say this. He says, after all, the people who live in those places best know the local cultures, the tribal languages, the inland waterways, let them get on with the job. And that's the end of what Philip says. Let them do it. So Paul comes in. He starts a, he starts a church. And then he says, okay, it's up. there's elders now in the church. There's leadership. There's a, a small group. And by the way, a church doesn't have to be a large church. It can be a small church. And it's people from that land that then begin to go and minister to people in their, in their own land, in their own communities. By the way, at this uh, conference I was at here recently, one of the speakers asked, he asked us to raise our hands, he said, how many of you uh, were converted through the ministry, it could be a relative or whoever it might be, but it's somebody from your own homeland. That is, if you're American, you were converted through the ministry of an American. By the way, if you know Christ, why don't we do that here? And uh, you have uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you were converted through somebody who actually was from the homeland here in America? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Now, how many of you were converted through somebody who was not from the homeland here? Would you raise your hand? Not interesting. Not one person. And so what Paul would do is he would say, I recognize I'm coming in from the outside. Oftentimes people can hear the gospel better. The gospel is powerful from anyone, but the Lord often uses it from people who are, who are like us, who have the same language, the same culture, the same background. And this is why when we go and we plant churches, we say, Lord, would you establish a church here? We don't want to make it in the image of us. We want to give it over to you and make it in the image of Christ. And we preach the gospel and then we believe the Lord. We entrust them over to the Lord. And the Lord says, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a work here in this town. That's what he's done here. But I want you to notice in Acts chapter 13 what's going on here with this whole idea of uh, 
church planting, Paul is now on his first missionary journey. And um, he has come to Antioch of Pisidia. By the way, there's a number of Antiochs. We remember two of them. We remember the main Antioch where, where people were first called Christians. That's not the Antioch here. This is the Antioch Pisidia. It's smaller, still on an important uh, route of travel within the Roman Empire. This Antioch was uh, located north of the Syrian Antioch and um, wasn't quite as big, but it was still a prestigious city located in what would today be Turkey or Asia Minor. And Paul decides on his first missionary journey that he's going to head to Antioch of Pisidia. And he has been teaching in the synagogue. And by the way, that's what he would do as a recognized rabbi. Whenever he would come to a town, he would, um, he would be able, because of his teaching under Gamaliel in Jerusalem, he would have the prestige and the recognition to be able to teach in these synagogues. So they would open up the door to him to come and preach. But it wasn't long after he began to preach that they began to realize, wait a second, we haven't heard this before. And the question that some of the Jews had, in fact, many of the Jews had, was is what this guy is preaching, is it real Judaism? Or is it some cultish offshoot? Is this something that we should receive? We haven't quite heard this kind of message before. And so at first, when he would go into a city, there would be reception. Come on in, Paul, you can teach. Come on in, Saul, you can teach. And he'd begin to teach. And as they're listening, they're, they're realizing, wait a second, this guy's going in a little bit of a different direction than we are familiar with. But he's been teaching. And verse 42 says, and they went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So the people are listening. The Jews are listening. This is such a work of God. Can you imagine Paul's teaching and the people are so excited about hearing the word of God exposited and explained that they're pleading for more preaching. There, there's nothing that excites the believer's heart like preaching, like getting underneath the word of God, hearing the word of God, letting the word of God instruct us and feed us. And there's fruit. So Paul is preaching in the synagogue and people are listening on the Sabbath. That is on Saturday. Verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts, that is a Jewish proselytes, people who had been converted, they were empty in who knows what it was, whether it was Greek philosophy or Roman philosophy. They were tired of that. They were empty. So they convert to Judaism. So you have Jews and you also have Jewish converts, that is Jewish proselytes, who are listening to this instruction. These converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So they are converted as they spoke with them, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. It's going into uncharted territory. How do you start a church in the middle of nowhere? You need a hot dog cart and a bucket of Band-Aids. That's not what Paul needed. 
Listen, if the word of God doesn't excite somebody, they're not ready to come to Christ. We plant the seed. If we try to do things any other way than what the scripture instructs us, we are, we are building a different kind of foundation. So Paul comes in and he begins to teach the word. And he's teaching to people who are listening at first and all of a sudden they are they're not wanting to listen. One of the hardest things to do is walk into a place when you know there's opposition. And you begin to preach. And you can feel it. The resistance. It's palpable. But there are a number of people that are listening. They're going, wait a second, this isn't heresy. This isn't a cult. He's not preaching a different Judaism. In fact, he's preaching what Judaism really teaches, the true Judaism. It's, it's Judaism without Christ. That's apostate. It, it, it's Judaism without Jesus. That's heretical. What, what Paul was preaching was actually in line with, it was the fulfillment of. It was in the same trajectory, in the same line. It was, listen, it was the same faith of Adam. There's not Adam believes in this God and then we get to the New Testament. All of a sudden there's a new cult, a new church or whatever, and that's a totally different thing. No, no, no. It's the same, same, same God. It's the same God as the, as the father of Israel, Abraham. Same faith. Abraham saw his day. Abraham believed in Jesus. Oh, he, did he know all the specifics? No. But he knew enough, and he was looking forward to that day of Christ. And so what Paul is preaching is he's just opening up the Scripture. He's saying, this is the same faith. I'm not, I'm not going off track here. I'm in the same track. I'm in the same track as Abraham. I'm in the same track as Isaac. I'm in the same track as Jacob. This is just a continuation of. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. This Jesus is who the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible, is all about. And there are certain people, their hearts are pierced. They say, this is right. This is true. You know what he says to them? He says, um, before he leaves, he says, continue on in the faith. Don't give in. Paul, Paul didn't preach an, an easy life. He, he preached Christ and him crucified. When you come to Christ, you give him your life. As we talked about last week, this exchange life. And he told them, you're going to have to continue on. May God... May God keep your faith strong. Opposition is coming. You're going to have it from every quarter. Keep the faith. Don't stop. Christianity isn't for year. It's not a year one plan. It's not a five-year plan. It's a life plan. It's a life commitment. So we get into this thing, and, and Paul knows. See, when we as believers come into the faith, it's, it's exciting, and we're going to take the world and Everything, victory in Jesus, and we love victory in Jesus and all that. And then as we begin to walk with the Lord, we recognize there's still hardship in life. 
There's sin, there's suffering, there's opposition, there's temptation. And so Paul says in this text here that we're reading in Acts 13, he says, may you continue on in the grace of God. What was it that was going to keep them? How do you start a church in the middle of nowhere? You start it with the word of God and with prayer, the Holy Spirit, the word and spirit, the word of God and the spirit of God. So he says, uh, I commend you over. He's saying, may you continue on in the grace of God. May I just urge you as we continue along here that you would continue on in the grace of God. Believer, where are you at right now? Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Don't give in. Don't give up. Continue on in grace. This is day after day after day, following after Christ. In fact, um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9 says this, Do not be led away, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So Paul says, I, I, I urge you to continue on in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost, verse 44 of Acts 13, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. By the way, this word revile means to rail against, to, to, to slander the as many of the Jews, some of them, as we read, got converted, but other Jews, many of them did not. And they began to abuse, they began to revile Paul. They began, and Instead of being able to actually interact with the arguments, they began to attack him. They vilified him. They, they demonized Paul. So here Paul and Barnabas are are there, and they decide, verse 46, saying, it is necessary that the word of God first be spoken to you. The word of God comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. By the way, uh, that comes from Isaiah so he is quoting the Old Testament prophet. He's saying, we're turning. We're turning now. We have given the word to the Jews. The Jews in large numbers have rejected it. We are now turning to the Gentiles. Now notice what verse 48 says, and we're bringing this to a close. We're going to land this plane here in just a few minutes. Verse 48 says this, and when the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of, of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. How, how do we get away from church is about church. 
the business. The first thing that happens to us is we, like them in Acts 13, we receive the word of God with great joy. Is it possible that we have non-Christians trying to tell other non-Christians about Jesus? It's very, it's very hard. It's very hard to be motivated about Christ if you don't know him. So the first thing when we talk about the word of God spreading, when we talk about churches beginning to grow, is we're talking about people first receiving Christ themselves. Listen, if a person isn't excited about Christ, if there was never a point in their life where they received the word of God with joy, then how can that person go and tell anybody about Christ with any lasting effect or, or lasting fruit? The first thing that we must do before we begin to spread the gospel is we must know the gospel ourselves, and we must know Christ himself. There must come a point in our life where we say, I'm a sinner. I deserve the judgment of God. It's me who deserves that. And as we're hearing this and we're thinking to ourselves, as we're hearing the word of God that we're not worthy and that we're not able to merit heaven, we can't get into heaven. There is a God. Listen, there is a God. And he's holy. That just needs to be proclaimed in this day. There is a God. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Jesus Christ really came into this world 2,000 years ago. Do you believe it? And it comes to the point in our life where we say, we recognize there is a God. We recognize we're a sinner and uh, that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. He's come to save us from the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve. We recognize hell is real. And we deserve it. Let me ask you this. Have you ever recognized that's where you're going if you don't know Christ? See, if you've never recognized that, if you've never seen that, then we can sell all the hot dogs we want to, and we're going to have a church about church. We must come to a place in our life. You must come to a place in your life. Where you say, I need Jesus. I need him. And I'll crawl on my hands and knees to the altar if I need to. I'll weep my way into heaven with joyful tears. As I recognize Jesus, the sin bearer, the most beautiful man who ever walked the face of the earth, actually came to save me. We don't get it. We, we don't get church. That's step one. And when a person really repents, they really go, I really need Christ. I need Christ. I really need him. And I don't want this life anymore. Listen, we got too many people that never realized that yet. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about an awakening. And we can have all the programs we want, but until we have the power of God on that message, convicting our hearts of that truth, so we're captivated by that truth, we come to him and we're saved.
were really saved. And from that point on, the word begins to spread. Word spreads. It spreads naturally. And we have a thousand different programs of evangelism programs, and they're all many of them are all well and good, and we, sh we should participate in them. But I don't, I don't read that's what they did. Because their whole life was so changed, it was automatic. It was just automatic that what happened is they went from the church gathering, this gathering of people that's now being established of believers, and they had to go tell people about what happened. Why? Because it was in them. And they didn't need a, a five-week course or three notebooks and five pages of apologetic arguments. Look, we're all for that. But it's, I'm so changed. I met Jesus. Remember, Jesus used to have to tell people, now, shh, don't go tell anyone. Quiet. Why would he have to do that? Well, he didn't want them to set him up as king. But that was the automatic response. He did something for me. i got to go tell him. So it's not just, well, what do I say? Well, we might have those questions, but... We just tell people about what happened. Listen, and so I'm talking to Bart or Tony or whoever the guy is or, or the woman is, and I'm just saying, look, I met Jesus. I was a sinner lost in sin. God opened my eyes. I was going to hell. And all of a sudden, I recognized, I heard the message of Jesus Christ, and I, re I really believed it. I, I gave my life over to him. I got excited about Jesus. And the message I've heard is this. If you'll repent of your sins and you'll trust in Jesus... You can know him too. And by the way, I've got a great group of friends who'd love to talk with you. We call it church. I, I want so desperately for this church to be naturally fired up about Jesus. But I feel a question I have to ask, and a comment I need to ask for, say first, and that is, if you're not fired up about Jesus yourself, how are you going to tell anyone else about him? If your life is no different from the world, then how are you going to reach people to get them out of the world? If you're mesmerized with the things of the world, and the cost of following Jesus is too much. How, how do you think that you're going to pull people from the flames, as Jude says? Hey, we're all for church growth. But it starts with us. And I fear there are people in this room that are not fired up about Christ. And I fear there are people in this church that are more mesmerized with the world than with Christ. And the only way you get out of that is through an infilling of the Holy Spirit. To get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Sanctify me afresh. 
Give me a burning desire for you. Get the world out of me. I feel it in me. Do you feel it in you, the world, ever? That old man? Say, I don't feel that. I just walk around in faith. Yeah. I, I know this church is going to grow when we get serious about holiness. When we get serious about the exchanged life. And the reason people are going to come is not because we have the coolest music or some awesome sermon. It's because people are coming to meet Jesus. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Folks, I'm calling this church, it's on my heart, I'm calling this church to get rid of the world. And it's time that in this church we have talk about getting rid of the world in and among ourselves. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. 1 John chapter 2. Do you know we have become so enamored with uh, legalism, self-righteousness, all these other kinds of things that I, I dare say we can barely even talk about holiness anymore. Well, is it sin? The grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ always leads us to become like Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us this, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. It's not the grace of God to live the life I want to live in the world and then I go to heaven. It's the grace of God continues to transform me to be in direct opposition to the world. And that's why Paul says, may you continue in the grace of God. May you continue. As I close for the fourth time today, I would ask you that you'd be on your knees this week and in coming weeks that the spirit of holiness would fall in this church. I can't cause it, and neither can you. But God can bring it. God can bring such a fear and awe of himself into this place that this place will be packed with people because they say that group of people is different. They're different. They talk different. They think different. Let's pray. Father, I don't, I don't know what you're speaking to each heart today. You have a way of talking to our hearts. You have a way of using the same word in a thousand different ways in a thousand different people's lives. Jesus, Jesus, you're the most exciting person in the world. 
But we can't, we can't cause others to see you. Forgive us, Lord, for manufacturing what can't be even manufactured. Forgive us, O oh Lord. And make us like Jesus, we pray, the Holy One of Israel.